This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And we're back. We're speaking ahead of United's season resuming. It feels like the World Cup finished oh, only yesterday. Or maybe it was the day before. All very weird. But this isn't weird. Let's introduce you to some friends. We've got Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten with us. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Ian. Hi, Laurie. Hi, guys. How you doing? Good, thanks, Laurie. Andy, you all right? All good, mate. Looking forward to this. Looking forward to Christmas. Absolutely. Did you enjoy... Martinez not kicking a ball in the final for Argentina. Well, he got his hands on the trophy, which was which was the main thing, right? At least United have got a World Cup winner. I saw a start. I think he's either fifth player to win a World Cup whilst playing for United, which seems mad. Yeah, but you can't name one of them. Well, I, I can I can name one. Bobby Charlton. Well, I, I, sorry, <laughs> I'm sure you can name one of them, but there's one that I, I, I never would have got the in a list. million years. Who was it? It's, 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 there's three Englishmen, aren't there? And then there's there's one. There's two very famous Englishmen on the list, Bobby Charlton and Nobby Styles. The third player, I have to admit, I didn't know who he was. I had to Google it, which I should be ashamed to say that really. And he's probably Andy's going to like, with probably him. rolling his eyes like, oh. No, I'm not. I'm not. But if you tell me who it is. John Connolly. John Connolly, yeah. Um, ran, a, ran a fish and chip shop in, in Burnley and um, was a key player for United winning the, the league in 1965. He actually started the first game of the 1966 World Cup as well. That's amazing. I just didn't know his story, basically. And Andy knows him. And Andy's been to his fish and chip shop and had cod and chips, yeah, with mushy peas on the side. You're a curry sauce man as well, Andy, or not? No. Nah, or any of that nah. filth near, the, near, the, near your fish? Pie, peas, gravy. Don't have curry sauce on, on chips. That should be banned. <laughs> How did I know he wouldn't have curry sauce on his chips? <laughs> What would they have made of Salt Bay, do you think? Because he was another guy that got his hands on the World Cup trophy. Oh, that was weird, wasn't it? That's a good good point, Laurie, that. Because I was thinking about this last night in bed, which is a bit unusual. But I, I saw, and the Athletic mentioned this in that really big write-up on the World Cup, um, Messi blanking him. And I just thought, this guy's become massively famous, basically because he puts salt on steaks and people buy into it. I love the description in The Guardian from Barney Roney, it's, a, it's where idiots go to eat. <laughs> and Rich idiots. I, I just think he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a construct of like this world we live in where people want to be f- photographed um, and, and on social media 
boasting that they've spent 200 quid on on a stake in gold and i was thinking things like does having gold wrapped around a piece of meat enhance the meat or is this just pure show but it's proper footballers bling bling in it it's on like that destination let's go to dubai well i'll let you into a secret putting the salt off your elbow doesn't make any difference to seasoning the meat either andy so i'm not sure that the gold is really adding much either nah nah it's uh I just wonder how long the shelf life of something like this because he he gets absolutely savaged by proper restaurant critics. But he opened one in London, destination. though, didn't he? When we're talking about him, I suppose. Yeah, you know, he's opened one in London. And there's probably enough people with money in London who will who will go for it. So, you know, what is the, what is the saying? A fool and his money will easily be parted. It's a great example of it. Ooh, a bit of philosophy on the podcast to kick us off as well. Very nice. Um... Well, Eric Ten Hag needs some philosophy dealing with Rafael Varane as well, Laurie. How, how do you see that one playing out? Because he'll be hugely disappointed and he could be injured as well by the look of the way he left the field. Yeah, he went down quite badly, didn't he? But I mean, I had a few messages yesterday. It sounds like it was exhaustion. Um, I mean, he, he played a lot of football okay. after not playing for, for a fair bit, wasn't it? It was the Chelsea game where he went off injured a uh, month out and then he didn't start the World Cup. So, But he came in and actually had a really good tournament, I think, in the end. Um so hopefully he, you know, he's got that experience of winning trophies. It's not like you know he hasn't won it already. So at least that's something. You know, it's it's. You hope that the, the mental side of things will be okay. Um, him and Martinez had a nice moment, didn't they, after the full time whistle? You could see Martinez consoling him. Um, so you hope he comes back with a, a pep in his step. Um, Varane and and him will both get a week off now. Is that right? Yeah, just depends whether Ten Hag. You know, I suppose they'll come back for maybe one or two sessions before the Forest game, and it just depends whether he thinks that's enough for them to go straight back in, or whether you know you got the Burnley game, haven't you? So is that a trial run for Maguire and Lindelof? You know, it's a partnership that they've used before, so it's not like it's a a, a, a novice uh, duo. So um, maybe that'll be the one for Forest because it is it's quite. I mean, we're away for forty five days. I mean, I saw that uh, Lionel Messi uh, sort of gathering his team around you know as they were taking that final step quite quite uh, emotional and quite powerful statement that he was saying but he was he was mentioning how they've been away for 45 days so you kind of think in that kind of you know atmosphere that kind of pressure um and then the the extreme ecstasy to kind of give you know Martinez certainly a bit of time just to decompress and then Varane sort of similarly to kind of get over any exhaustion that he might have or or kind of uh, yeah, uh, sadness about losing the final then. I think that's probably a smart move. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a few assessments to make, isn't there, about how players come back from this tournament. And that's part of the challenge for club managers, not just at Manchester United, but across the Premier League and, and Europe and the world as well. Uh, one interesting story as well that came out of the end of the World Cup in Qatar, Andy, David Ornstein's written about on The Athletic. You can go and read that piece, of course, on there if you want to. But Avram Glazer was there talking to what's been described as potential investors from Qatar and Saudi Arabia as well, David's been reporting. What's your reaction to that? He's been spending a lot of time in that region. It's not just football-related either, but but cricket-related. Um, and I think for the one of the owners of Manchester United to be in that part of the world during the World Cup finals is not a major surprise, as well as the football going on. It was a, a meeting of football people, there's a lot of backroom um, talk going on, as there always is around these tournaments in those five, six-star hotels in in Doha. There were lots of people who weren't involved in it who just went along just to enjoy it. You know, it was a sunny place to go to. I saw Diego Simeone, for example, was there for the full duration with, with, with his family. 
and for them it's almost like um it, it's a rest and a, a, a nice place to go in their eyes um with the, the the glazers they're not directly the ones who are supposed to be seeking uh, potential suitors for manchester united but we know how this game works it's you know if you're building up relationships and you know the glazers have not ruled out this idea of getting investment rather than a complete sale people we've spoke to and it was in Laurie's athletic piece the idea of giving up a bit of the club or someone paying billions not to have control is a little bit far-fetched but you could see how it would totally suit the the, the glazers yet yeah, you give us a couple of billion and we keep control uh, but i don't have anything concrete on on any um definite suitors manchester united are a massive name but the the price which is being banded around which the glazers are asking for it's also seemed to be prohibitively high yeah andy mentioned it there Laurie, but you did a piece um tail end the last week about what we're hearing about the sale of manchester united that's on the athletic as well what do you understand to be the latest yeah it was really interesting actually that um we had a couple of stories about avram glazer out in um qatar because uh, adam lenthal managed to get him uh, speaking outside the Morocco-France game. Incredible get to spot him and then to have the wherewithal to kind of chase after him and, and get him to speak on the record. You'd definitely spot him. I don't think there's um, many people rocking <laughs> that particular look that, that he has. Fair enough. Maybe it's quite a, a distinctive appearance. Um, <laughs> a good get, but an, an easy spot, I would say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In the throng of people. Um, and... And he actually, so to Adam asked him, you know, what about the, the sale process? And he, he kind of corrected him in his mind anyway to say it's not necessarily a sale, which I found was actually quite instructive. You know, you get a few seconds with these guys. I mean, it's so rare that he even speaks on camera. You know, I think there's there's a Sky News one last year that they managed to get um, at an event. But it's, it's, you know, just a very, you know, infrequent occurrence. So for him to actually say that was kind of a, a little indication of where he's coming from. Um, now, there's, there's maybe all, all manner of reasons for that. Maybe that's him and Joel as a united front. There's also other people t- that, that suggest to me that actually Joel is more open to the sale th- than, than Avram now. You know, he sort of changed his mind since the summer. Um, you know, we've obviously spoken about the fact that they wanted to try and buy out the siblings in the summer with these talks. Um there's other people that say to me, you know, uh, the the Arab states, you know, uh, the, the Middle East don't see the value in Premier League. You know, Saudi Arabia have already got their their purchase with Newcastle, uh, Qatar have, have got PSG, and it is all the, you know, I don't I don't think they're, you know, they've got lots of money, but I don't think they'll want to just you know spend for the sake of it. I think they they see these things as investments rather than you know, and obviously it's soft power. It's it's a, a chance to broadcast your nation to the world and, and kind of diversify your economy from just you know um, gas and oil but I don't think they're, they're going to want to just pay you know over the odds for this you know for this club and I mean is it useful for Avram Glazer to be seen speaking to these people or to have this kind of story out there to kind of show that there's interest in United you know I, I could well see that as a, as a potential you know rain their whole you know, uh, agenda is to uh, drum up interest and, and make sure that you know there's this kind of a hotly contested bidding process because that that's how you get the most value for your asset. So um, yeah, they're all different considerations. Yeah, it, it's 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 like the transfer business, isn't it? It's like who <laughs> who do you believe? You know, where do you, where do you put your faith? Um, we'll we'll see in, in, when it when it shakes down. But it's certainly, as Andy mentioned, it's certainly been a place where. People have gathered not just for the football, but for a chance to mingle. It's been a month, you know, away before a transfer window. I, I spoke to 
a couple of agents that have been out there and you know and certainly owners have been out there Marinakis Christian Perslow for Aston Villa you know chief executive they, they've been out there I think Todd Bolly as well at Chelsea so people have been out there to kind of meet and rub shoulders with other people so it's, it's been a networking event as well. Okay, if you want updates on the situation with a potential sale for Manchester United, of course, keep your eyes peeled to The Athletic. Lots of great writing on there on that topic and also everything Manchester United, including what we're going to talk about later on on the podcast as well. If you're not a subscriber, you can sign up now to The Athletic with our special podcast price. You'll pay less than £2 per month for your first year when you go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, well, one of those articles that I just teased a moment ago was about transfers. Andy Mitten's written it. We promised on the last podcast that we'd bring an update ahead of the January transfer window. And Andy Mitten is dropping names like you wouldn't believe. Andy, take it away. Yeah, Mbappe's going to join on the 1st of January. He's going to play in the World Cup, finally played quite well. And Messi will be coming as well. So the stories that have gone out there is uh, all based from coming from, from Eric Ten Hag. He would like to strengthen Manchester United, naturally so, having lost Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, we don't know when Jadon Sancho is going to be coming back either. And top manager likes top players is hardly a shock. And some of the names that he said that he really likes are the names which probably everybody in football likes. Who are the names, Andy? We put in the, in the Athletic uh, last week that... He was still interested in Frankie de Jong. Um, still Ooh. interested. Yeah, he plays for a um, team in club, 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 Barcelona, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I'm not going to play that game again. We even had a team. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. For newer listeners, who don't have a clue what I'm on about. But yeah, go back and listen to the summer. And, and that might surprise people, but I think the communication's open. What he's not doing is, is closing it down because Frankie de Jong is obviously still... A very good player. He mentioned Jude Bellingham as well. In a way that, like, you know, Jude Bellingham is a great player. Why wouldn't Manchester United be in the conversation for him? Bit of history on that one though, as well, isn't there? Yeah, there is. United seriously went for him and were prepared to pay, I think, thirty-six million. Um, did a big presentation to him. So did Manchester City. So did Borussia Dortmund. United wheeled out all the big guns to try and get him to sign, but felt that his family had decided on Dortmund because, not without reason, they felt that he would become a regular first-team player at an early age than he would if he moved to Manchester. Dortmund said, look, this is our track record. We're not going to stand in his way in a couple of years' time if he wants to move on. So Ten Hag saying that Manchester United should be in the conversation for, for Bellingham wouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, I'm a bit more worried that every single player who comes from Dortmund to United seems to f- seems to flop, but you can't hold that against the club forever. I think a, a right back, a forward, but as United have said, top clubs don't want to sell their best forwards in the January transfer window. Add to that that United overspent in the summer transfer window as well. And the idea of United bringing in huge name signings in January, I think is improbable. Also, 
United have said they don't want cheap loan options who are not going to improve the squad. So when I when I heard that, I was just thinking back to um, striker came in from Watford a couple of years ago. Dinigalo didn't really work out for Odeon. Yeah, um, although COVID kicked in just as he after he'd had a, his first get, a decent game away away at Lask. So there's loads of names, you know. Laurie's heard names as well. Names have been written about. Cody Gapco keeps being spoken about from from PSV. I wouldn't be surprised if Manchester United continue to recruit next summer, bring in three or four players. However, what we now have is the uncertainty is we don't know who the owners are going to be. So it's all right the manager saying, yes, I love all these fantastic players. Ultimately, it's not even his decision because there's instability and that, that's not good for the markets. It's not good for any manager. No, Cody Gagpo, that said, is the name that doesn't seem to be going away, Laurie. Um, we know that United, and we've spoken about it on the podcast, you've written about it a lot as well, were sort of close to getting that deal done in the summer and decided against it. What we've seen since from him at club level and now in the World Cup will only show that United were right to be interested in him and maybe wrong to decide against it in the end. Yeah, I suppose it, it came down to finance, didn't it? Um, Eric Ten Hag wanted Anthony and Ajax had a certain price. You know, we, we spoke to every man on this trip and he was saying that you know they didn't want to sell him and, and that was what then if they were going to sell him, that was the price. You know, no no um, ifs and buts about it. And that's ultimately what United got to. So that then made those conversations regarding Cody Gakpo um, less relevant because they, they had a certain amount of money. And they, as Andy said, they already overspent on that. So, you know, they did actually agree personal terms with his uh, representatives, which, which we've spoken about. And I think he's been very open about uh, his mindset in the summer where he mentioned, I think he thought at one point he probably was going to sign for Man United. And then I know there was Leeds and Southampton as well. And you kind of think, I mean, he chose right to not kind of dive into the Premier League at that point because he's had a a good World Cup where he's enhanced his reputation. Uh, We watched him for PSV uh, away at Ajax uh, in that game. He made an assist for uh, Luke de Jong, really nice uh, cross it was. And he probably could have had another one actually from the other side as well. and, you know, it's obviously centre forward is the big position that United need. Cristiano Ronaldo going out the, out the club is, you know, whilst he wasn't, you know, Eric Ten Hag's ideal for a centre forward, he was still capable of, of scoring goals. He scored the winner at Everton. Um, so, you, you you know, you really have to replace that. And with Anthony Martial, you know, OK, he's back now, but he's had three different injuries this season already. Um, Marcus Rashford could play there for sure. He's, he, he did well against Arsenal, didn't he, up front. Um, but it's not necessarily his best position. Could could Cody Gakpo come in and you know he played up front for Holland? He's, he's, he's performed that role. His best position is off the left. Um, but Eric Tag has shown that he has been able to kind of coach players into new positions and, and or enhance you know other uh, positions that they've not necessarily uh, played loads of time in. So yeah, I I would imagine that he's someone that United will have another conversation about in January because PSV. You know, I think Ruud van Nistelrooy last week said that there's only so long you can say no to a player, you know, in terms of letting them go. Um, his contract's until 2026, but I do think, I hear sort of suggestions that PSV might have a financial uh, imperative to sell, you know, at the right moment. Um, I know 50 million euro was kind of privately what they were hoping for in the summer, which is, is a bit more than I think what was being reported at the time. And maybe that's a negotiation, but, you know, you can kind of see it, where that would come from. 
Um, and, and I think it basically, as Andy's mentioned, the club's up for sale. So <laughs> do the Glazers. It's business as usual. That's what we're told. So, you know, Joel is still communicating, I think, with, with uh, you know, Richard Arnold, chief exec, and, and, you know, that kind of level of, of, of um, dialogue. But do they think, okay, well, actually, if we sign this player for X amount of money, that then enhances our chances of getting in the Champions League and that increases the value of the club overall to a potential buyer? Or do they think, well... Uh, you know, it's not really. We kind of have to be, you know, tight on finances because we are in the process of selling the club, and we don't want to kind of make any more major, uh, you know, um, commitments to, to to money. We don't want more debt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I mean, I mean, the debt as we spoke about last week, it's you know a billion pounds. So what's another fifty million? They don't seem bothered. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Andy. Gonzalo Ramos, the Benfica striker, was someone who Eric um, Ten Hag also liked. Benfica's whole business model is about developing players, uh, either bringing them through the youth system or bringing them from South America and selling them to Premier League clubs for £50 million. That, that they're, they're quite honest about that, but then they're under no pressure to sell. They're still in the Champions League, they're top of the league in, in Portugal. They got a lot of money last year from Damian Nunes. Uh, with Cody Gapco, I remember speaking to, to basically PSV, in August and it's like it's going nowhere because we're still in the Champions League and he's not ready yet that was the feeling he's not ready uh, to, to be playing in England as soon as Rangers knocked PSV out of the Champions League I got a message yeah we're not in the Champions League anymore and obviously not you know everyone can see that there was a game last night where 50,000 people uh, w- watched it so maybe that happened a little bit late but as Laurie said uh, Anthony was the absolute target Manchester United ended up paying all that money for him and the idea that he's not ready well that, that looks a little bit um, jaundiced now that view because he showed in the World Cup that he looks like he's absolutely ready yeah there's something about his record for PSV before the World Cup which suggested that as well to be fair he's had an absolutely brilliant season so far so he's definitely a player that they'll face more competition on. It, yeah, I, I do think there'll, there'll probably be more more clubs in, in the mix for him. And it, it comes down to really whether, you know, Eric Tanag will be a part of this conversation very much so. Um, does he think that it's worth spending some money now if he can, you know, convince the owners or, you know, whoever might be a part of that conversation to spend the money now because it'll come off the summer budget, you know, really. that That's the ultimate um, sort of domino effect. Or is there a... You know, a low cost centre forward and experienced centre forward that they can get that's out there. Um, you know, I don't know if there is. I think the recruitment department have had a look and they, they kind of don't really see um, loads of um, of options out there that would kind of enhance United to that degree. So I don't know. It, it's 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 going to be a really interesting kind of conversation behind closed doors to see what they actually end up doing. So, as we record this podcast then, we are just over 24 hours away from Manchester United kicking a football in a competitive scenario again. They take on Burnley in the League Cup. And I think the one thing that United fans, Andy, are looking forward to is seeing Anthony Martial back playing, hopefully back being fit, because he's had this period to get sorted. You've seen it in action during this break as well. How likely is it that he starts the season when it restarts as the first choice centre forward for United. I think United fans would love to see him playing and playing well and not being injured and getting a good run of games under his belt. I think he'd started only two Premier League matches. It's not good enough if you're going to 
be relied upon by your manager. So there's so many games coming up now. I'd love him to go right through, get a decent win against a, a very good Burnley team managed by, by Vincent Company. They look like they're probably going to come straight back up to the Premier League. They've sold almost 7,000 away tickets. The Old Trafford capacity is being reduced, which caused a little bit of concern uh, last week when that came out from people who'd bought tickets. That said, um, one of our editors at The Athletic went on United's website yesterday and managed to get a ticket for him and his son. So <laughs> there are still... Oh? Yeah, that's what I, I was surprised at that. Um, Sam, who, who, who Laurie and I both work with. Um, so big game. Amazed that the crowds are so big for Europa League and League Cup this year. If Anthony Marshall can come in, if Manchester United can play well, just play a competitive game, win it. Get through to the next round of the cup and then that just sets up the whole mood going through all those games, which on, on the face of it, you know, Forest, Bournemouth, Wolves are not having good seasons. But we've seen United get tripped up so many times before and we don't know what it's going to be like because the team haven't played since that match at Fulham. We just don't know. So just settle everything down with a decent win against Burnley. Away we go. Win the league, win the Europa League, win the FA Cup, win the Carabao Cup. Decent season. There's been quite a few managers complaining, understandably, about this this round of League Cup games taking place so soon after the World Cup, Laurie. But actually, is it is it helpful to Eric Ten Hag to have this match before the Premier League kicks off just to see where everyone's at and try and find a little bit of rhythm? I think so. And I know that it is. it seems incredibly <laughs> quick turnaround from the final being you know, a couple of days ago and then now here we are, um, you know, looking forward to a club match. But actually, if you look at the players that Ten Hag will have had available to him, it is only Martinez and Varane that have kind of, you know, had that extra week out. So you, you, the players are in a rhythm of playing. I think we, we saw that with the kind of quality of the knockout rounds. The, the football was, was great, wasn't it? So you kind of wonder that, okay, there's quite a lot of nil-nils to start with. Was that because teams were coming together without any warm-up matches um, and they kind of had to get settled into a bit of a rhythm but but then they, they, they got into that stride and it feels like maybe actually let them keep playing because you know they don't seem sapped of energy apart from you know like I say probably Rafael Varane who, who was injured beforehand anyway so yeah I think he'll be thankful for it and um, it gives him a chance just to you know because the, the matches in Spain I know they were just tune-ups but it wasn't great was it from a performance perspective so I think he needs something that can kind of get a bit of energy back into the team availability of players as well yeah the players who are likely to play in these these games probably a majority of them weren't available for for, for the yeah for sure and I mean so they had a day off yesterday which was Monday uh, they drew back in today Tuesday Um, so uh, you'd you'd expect all the England boys to be back in amongst it you know and as we spoke about last week Luke Shaw Marcus Rashford Harry Maguire all had good tournaments so you kind of think that that's actually a good thing to get them back in and, and sort of playing straight away, really. And, and Bruno Fernandes, Diogo Dalot, you know, th- these guys have had, it's not like they, they, were, they were playing just, you know, the weekend. They've, they've had a, a bit of time off anyway. But you're a bit of something, aren't we, at home as well in the Cups? Because la- last season was so disappointing, wasn't it? To watch United go out of all the Cup competitions at home at Old Trafford, uh, especially that Middlesbrough game as well in the FA Cup. I mean, that was absolutely shocking, wasn't it, looking back? Um, but we can't take anything for granted against Burnley, Laurie, can we? Because you look at how well they've done so far in a very, very competitive league, as we know. Uh, and the interesting factor, I think, as well, is that they're almost unrecognisable from the Burnley that we've seen in the Premier League in recent years. You read the team sheet, even from the Middlesbrough game at the weekend, there's only three or four of them who were even there last season who started that match. Company make, 
might make changes, of course, for this game, but it's not going to be long ball Burnley, is it? It's going to be totally different. No, it's a really young team as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I've yeah. not followed them extremely closely, so forgive me if I'm, I'm I'm calling it a little bit wrong. But I've I've seen that they're actually playing more 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 dynamic football. I mean, that's that's what you'd kind of expect, right? When Vincent Company comes in and and you know it's moving the dial on from a Sean Dyche team that obviously did really well for them in a particular style, but. Clearly, you know they've had that run now. You kind of think you can understand why they're trying something different, and actually, it's working for them. Okay, they've got the parachute payments, and you know they are one of the wealthier clubs in that division, probably you know perhaps the wealthiest. But um, they still, you know, it's not that straightforward to kind of go down, change your team, and then keep winning. So, and, and they're doing that really well. I mean, I'm just looking at the results now. Um, it's what eight wins out of nine, you know, uh, in all different competitions. So um, they're obviously on a good run and. I know they've been away for a bit, um, but you know you'd expect them to kind of come back. And yeah, as you say, that that game on Saturday against Middlesbrough, good win. Um, and they had a you know player kind of Robert Scott sent off in the sort of the last minute, so they, they managed to hold out for, for the for the win there. Did you see him getting sent off? No, go on. What happened? No, it was handball on the line, but it didn't it? He's hand it at the bar by the look of the replays, anyway. So I, I don't know if that's been rescinded yet or is being looked at. Oh, so he's got it overturned then, maybe. Well, his wife started a campaign on social media, I think, by doing a slow mo uh, or a recording of the slow mo on the TV and, and putting it out there, and everyone was sort of uh, retweeting it and everything at the weekend. So I, I'm interested to see how Mrs. Roberts' uh, campaign's gone if they are married. Well, well yeah, they, they are. Yeah, they are. Uh, but after your uh, mention of Middlesbrough last season so there's, there's been a handball that should have been given last season and then a handball that was given that shouldn't have been well there you go for, you know, this kind of might all turn around in in, <laughs> in, in Burnley's favour I don't know I don't know I it, thought it, you were going to say Ian that we, we need a little bit of something with the home games I, I was hoping you weren't going to say a home draw six consecutive home draws in the cup now for Manchester United is that right and we can say, well, what are the odds on that? And I did ask that. And Everyone's looking at the direct debits coming out as well, aren't yeah, they? Looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. they took the money out straight away. Uh, Duncan Quinton, who listens to this podcast, said actually the odds are 63 to 1 of that happening. There's a 1.6% chance of that happening. So given the certainty in which I replied to that, um, I'm just trusting it. I'm not a mathematician, but six straight home draws. That's mad. Six. I've never known that at all. Yeah, yeah. But it'd be just good to see United playing again, really, won't it? After after this World Cup, of course. Soon after that, the match is on the twenty seventh. Then, uh, the, essentially, the Boxing Day fixture, but a day later for United against Nottingham Forest. I'm really, really intrigued to see Jesse Lingard back at Old Trafford, Laurie. There's a lovely piece by Paul Taylor. Uh, an interview with Jesse talking about a few random things uh, on the Athletic at the moment, but also talking about the football and about the emotion of coming back to Old Trafford. If there's been a player with a point to prove in recent times coming back, I'm struggling to remember remember one with more than, than Jesse in some ways because it was odd when he came back from West Ham, wasn't it, for him? And he's spoken about some of the problems that he suffered that maybe contributed to the fact that he didn't play a great deal for United. Yeah, he's, he's a good talker, Jesse Lingard. I think he's at heart a nice guy, um, clearly loves his football and it just wasn't, wasn't. you sort of reflect back on that summer where really United should have sold him. You know, he had, he had a really good loan spell at West Ham and again, we talk about different versions of, of truths but, um, you know, was it that Solskjaer didn't think he would get a replacement in during that summer so wanted to kind of keep on a player that was in a good mode um, you know, just for kind of security reasons or was it that the player himself didn't want to go to certain clubs that were coming to him or was it that no clubs actually put the right bid in that United wanted but on reflection you sort of think it was a bit 
it, it, it was a bit of a wasted season after that, wasn't it? Um, and you know, he seems to be part of a Nottingham Forest team that you know they've struggled. You know, they've had a lot of new players coming in, um, but there is this fight about them. You know, that whole mad <laughs> week that happened with Steve Cooper, where it looked like he was going to get sacked, and then he ended up with a new contract. Um, I, I guess that's just what you get when you got uh, Maranakis as, as your owner. But um, so you know, it's never a dull moment. Um, but I think in terms of Jesse's um, career, it, it, you know, at least he's in a place where they, they clearly value him. Um, they've obviously pushed the boat out financially to make sure that he's he's felt the love um, and with the supporter base that I think if you play with energy and, and heart and, and you know, it, it, they've kind of willed their team to victory so far this season at the city ground. So you kind of think that he has, it can, kind of, he, he'll buy into that. Um, and yeah, I think you always just, Wish former players the best, um, but it was it was the right time for him to go. He, he wasn't at the level that United needed to to push on, um, you know. But in in different circumstances, maybe he could have been that kind of squad player that could you know work well. It, it, but it it gone sour, hadn't it? So you can you know it, it was the right thing for him to move on. How do you reflect on on Lingard, Andy, and, and him coming back? Mixed feelings about him as a as a as a player and a person. I spoke to a Forest fan last week who said he's he's actually starting to play well, like the team. They struggled at the start of the season, but they've lost one in five. They've come off the bottom of the table, and the Forest fan said to me, "Look, we just need to stay up this year. That's what it's all about." Because there was upheaval in the summer with all those changes, and as Laurie said, with the manager, we didn't know what was going to happen there. I think on his day, Laurie. Um, I was going to say Laurie could be a, a very good Premier League player and he might well be a very wow. good player. Wow. But <laughs> Jesse Lincoln proved that no at comment. West Ham. It was the right time for for, for him um, to, to go. Um, he's got his version as why, why he wasn't allowed to go. In hindsight, United should have cashed in and got good money for him when his stock was at his highest. His people were pushing for him to go a year ago. United ended up letting him go and not making the type of money that an established player like him um, should have got. Paul um, writes in the piece that Jesse, in answer to his question, are you misunderstood, says yes. Sorry to sort of cut it off at a random point and take it in a different direction, but how do you think he's misunderstood? How do you think Jesse feels? I think there's a, a, a perception about him which is different to his own perception of himself. I think he had a lot of stick when he played for Manchester United and it comes in waves of stick and and fans can be quite selective how they remember players. And going back to your first question, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't get a warm response in person at Old Trafford because I think in real life that's what humans tend to be like and it's very different to, to social media. He's not done anything majorly to annoy Manchester United fans he, he came through the youth system he's, he's from Warrington he's a local lad he scored some very important goals for Manchester United I remember writing about him in August 19 and being struck by the amount of vitriol in response to the piece it was like 99% get this man out of the club he's a disgrace and I thought that's too strong because of what because of because of the celebrations and uh, I mean there's always the same thing that's referenced which is the the, the fashion launch ahead of the Liverpool yeah. game, was it? Yeah. I mean, that that divides people. It just does do. He's, he's moving now into NFTs and the metaverse and it divides people and I can see why it divides people. I'd have a different view to some of his celebrations than, than my brother. I asked him, my brother, about it um, two years ago, my youngest brother, when he was 14. He's like, oh, I love it. I love his dancing. 
Do I love him in a Miami hotel room going beans, beans, beans? No, I don't. But then there's different demographics within the fan base. And there's also a question of timing. So when his official Twitter account put out an announcement during the memorial for the Munich air disaster, that was horrendous timing. And he backtracked and he apologised. And to be fair to him, he probably knew nothing about that. And it's just about the type of people who you surround yourself with. Yeah, that's true. If you're dancing around going beans, 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 and you've just won the treble, there's no issue with that at all. So I just don't always think he made the wisest decisions. But as Laurie said, I know people who know him well and speak of a good person there. And there's been significant changes in his private life. He's spoken about them. And he probably, well, he said it, he feels misunderstood. Get back to the football then. Um, how do you see this game going, Laurie? Um, again, it's Burnley might give us a clue, but it'll be fascinating to see exactly how United try and pick up some rhythm. Because actually, it's a shame that we weren't able to build on that win at Fulham and everything that came with it. Yeah, and so you, you kind of want a, a game straight afterwards, right? And particularly with Alejandro Garnacho winning it in the way that he did. Um, you know, can can you keep that momentum going? Um, I don't know. I mean, you, you just think that United should beat Forest, you know? pretty easily but then yeah. the, but yeah. but then they've you know they've kind of got the got their act a bit more together um and you know Steve Steve Cooper's a good manager he, he he you know he obviously had that success with England under 17s and he came in last season when uh Forest were at a very low ebb and, and the fact that they're even in the Premier League you know a, within a year of that is is remarkable really um but then they, you know I think I think they basically they have to if Forrest are going to you know do a number on United it's going to have to be a one nil right then then they're not going to score loads of goals I'm, I'm looking at their results now oh the Liverpool one stands out that one nil yeah you know it was like the Alamo wasn't it well, that's it I mean Dean he, Henderson yeah and even, even the last uh, one Pat had a great Palace, game that day that won't happen yeah I mean obviously he won't play will he because he's he'll be um, the loan won't 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 allow so yeah exactly um, that's kind of one former United player that we don't have to probably a good job actually because if we're talking about players getting receptions coming back to Old Trafford he was fairly pointed yeah. in his interview when he first yeah I wonder Forrest. if he'll be at the game you presume he might be uh, yeah uh, it, I mean that's a really fascinating aspect won't he be hiding from Eric Ten Hag still? well possibly I don't, know, I don't know if Ten Hag I think Ten Hag would be you know kind of nonplussed by it because you didn't really have a chance to speak to him so he, he probably won't feel any particular you know grievance about it the goalkeeper situation is actually quite interesting. You know, when you look at David De Gea, is he what United want? Is, is he what Ten Hag wants long term? You know, his contracts up in the summer if they don't trigger the plus one, and that's something we might see this week. Some of the the plus ones um, looked at. You know, with Rashford, yes, Dallow, uh, Shaw. But yeah, in terms of the goalkeeper situation, Henderson, you kind of think it, maybe the lesson could be heeded from the Lingard thing, where you know, actually, if he goes and com- continues to have a, a pretty good season for Forest, you know sell him for a good value rather than try and retain him and you know cause this kind of friction that, that then led him to speak out the way he did um and, and actually you know be assertive in, in that that situation and you know I mean then you look at Dubravka's on loan and, and Tom Heaton whose who's contract's up as well it could be you know if, if Tenag wants it to be or if United feel like they've got the the flexibility to make it so it could be a, a whole new goalkeeping department come come next summer yeah, it's certainly something to keep an eye on, isn't it? Um, one last person to reflect on on this podcast, if we can, because we've mentioned him a little bit on this pod and we mentioned him a little bit on the last pod, but probably not enough given his situation that you've written about, Andy. Jaden Sancho. Um, we're not totally sure whether he's going to be involved in the Burnley game or the Nottingham Forest game, to be fair. Eric Ten Hag has said that he needs 
well, he's got issues physically and mentally that he needs to resolve before he can come back to playing for United. What do you understand to be this, this situation with Jadon Sancho and when do you think we'll see him next? I wrote the piece in, in The Athletic using quotes from Eric Ten Hag. He's not been exiled or dropped from the squad, but United's manager and United fans felt that you could see that his form was dropping. He looked absolutely shot of confidence. I think the best example was in that game against uh, Ammonia, Ammonia Nicosia in Cyprus when I spoke to a manager the day after that and he just said, when you're a Manchester United forward and you've not got the confidence to run at a Cypriot defender and, and instead pass the ball back and that led to a mistake and, and a goal, you've got an issue there. So Eric Tenog felt that a complete reset was a good idea for him. The idea is that he wants him to succeed just as a player wants to succeed and he will get further chances, no doubt about it, at Manchester United. Uh, he went to Holland, um, he's been training with coaches who Eric Ten Hag has worked with in the past and in his professional opinion it was better for him to do that than to go to to Spain and get drenched every day because it absolutely lagged it down in the, the sunniest sea in Europe. I wish him well. I hope he comes back. I hope he plays well. He had a really good pre-season. He scored that great goal against Liverpool, which raised the roof at Old Trafford. And he wasn't doing badly, but then it just sort of, it just f fell apart. And... I remember seeing him go off against uh, Chelsea away when United played really well, but he didn't. He'd given the ball... Last time we saw him play. He gave the ball away two or three times in that match and you really noticed it because it was a high-standard game. You could see that he was frustrated with himself. And as you say, he's not played a minute in any of the six games for Manchester United before the World Cup started. But he, he, he had a really good um, pre-season and we were thinking, OK... This is, is going to start for him because last season was also disappointing. He wasn't scoring enough at all. This is the third most expensive English player ever. Someone we spoke about an awful lot. But as Ten Hag said, we didn't see him in the last games for United. He wasn't in the right status, in the right fitness state. So now he's on an individual programme and we want him to finish that programme. And hopefully we will see him back soon. And I think everyone would echo those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the World Cup and not making it as well, Laurie, would have been a, a disappointment to Jaden because I'm sure the way this season started for him, um, the way we felt and the, the way he was playing, he, he looked like he was going to be on that plane to Qatar and that would have been a huge blow to him. Um, but yeah, it's it's difficult to know what to make of make of this really, isn't it, when, when Ten Hag's saying what mm, he said? Yeah, I remember writing a piece after the Sheriff game where he'd scored another lovely finish away you know, in September and that was when... The squad um, had, had kind of come out, uh, the latest England squad, and you know it was kind of like, okay, this is actually a bit of a repost from him, and it, it felt like he'd, he'd got his his gear together, you know. Um, and so it, it does. It, I don't know. It, I didn't see it coming, to be honest. I thought he did really well in pre-season. I thought, okay, this this could be the season that he flourishes because last season, I, I, you know, I did hear that, and I think we wrote about that there was, you know, he came in with this ear infection that had kind of still stopped his his. You know, get, getting a, a running start to the season, you know, was confidence an issue? You know, United is, is quite an overwhelming situation for for certain people. Um, you know, for for all players really. Well, I think it? the circumstance of of the penalty shootout and the racist yeah. abuse that he suffered afterwards, coming back to England, it, it, I mean, we've talked about it on here before, but that must have been a hugely, hugely difficult situation to step back into England 
uh, to deal with for Jaden. And then not to mention what you're talking about, which is the eyes on you playing for United. You know, it is a, a massively challenging situation that for anyone, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's you know, come come on then, deliver for us, and you know that you know we, we probably expect it of of players. Um, you know, perhaps without really thinking about what that does, you know, psychologically, but. Um, and this isn't to say that he, he needs, you know, uh, you know, cotton wool wrapping around him. But at the same time, it does feel like, from what Eric Ten Hag's saying, and the fact that he wasn't away with the squad in, in Spain, um, that it's, you know, it's a serious situation that he, he wants to have, you know, full focus on, you know, whilst... Uh, so he, he has full isolated focus on it rather than it be with a group and he can't get that kind of one-to-one, you know, attention. Um, I mean, it is, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know that the suggestion that I got was that it wasn't necessarily a guarantee that he'd be back for the Burnley game, you know, uh, and, and then maybe even the Forest game after that is something that they're kind of going to take day by day. Um, there's obviously, as Tanag's mentioned, there's a fitness situation to it. But, you know, I mean, I remember that, that, that Chelsea game, you know, he played and he wasn't good in it, but it didn't feel at that moment that that would be the last we'll see of him for, well, it's, it's two months now. I know obviously the World Cup's a month of that, but it was a month of United fixtures and he was on the bench for the next couple after that and then he was, wasn't was in the squad at all. So, um, you know, I guess that's been, that, that's the hint that something even back then was 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 uh, was an issue. And he's had talks with Ten Hag, they've had, you know, one-to-one conversations and this is something that together they've felt that is the right solution. Um, so I hope it does work because he's obviously a really talented player there. You know, you, you, you can't score the goal that he scored against Liverpool with the calmness that he has, you know, the, the kind of close control that he's got without being a great player. I suppose, you know, the historical version of a United winger is to take players on and kind of drive at them. And, and that's not really his game. His game is, you know, one-twos around the box. It's it's tight control. It's understanding your teammates. And I suppose if you're not in the flow of that, then it's difficult to kind of ignite yourself. And, and maybe that's what they're, they're trying to get with this sort of training programme. He'd not actually played for England in over a year to add to them 23 caps. And remember at Leicester when the three of us did the podcast in the car park? How can we forget? He scored the winning goal and that was September. And that came a week after um, being applauded off against Liverpool at Old Trafford when he had a really, really good game. And after that game in Leicester, he and only he came to speak to the journalists in the mix zone. And I was struck by how polite he was. He shook our hands. That's not normal. It's like, normally it's like, I don't really want to be here. It's like, hi, nice to see you, shaking hands with everybody. Give pretty decent answers as well. And I remember walking to meet you lads and we spoke about him a bit on that podcast and thinking it's coming good for him. And it's a shame that, that it's happened. Hopefully it'll be a blip, which where we look back and go, yeah, that was six to eight games where things weren't working out. But I'd love to see him back involved and against the teams, the, the, the fixture list coming up now, it looks pretty good for Manchester United getting against those teams. Three of the next league opponents are in the bottom six. We didn't have that at the start of the season when he was doing well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We're due the easier games on paper, aren't we? Because of how difficult the fixtures were before the World Cup. We all hope Jaden Sancho is back playing well for Manchester United as soon as possible, of course. If you want to know more about his situation, including what Eric Ten Hag has had to say about it and his pieces up on The Athletic now, if you're not a subscriber, you can sign up to The Athletic with our special podcast price. You'll pay less than £2 a month for the first year when you go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. We're going to be back then after that Forest game. We'll be back recording on the 28th of December. That's our last podcast for 2022. But for the minute, Andy, thank you very much for being with us again. Laurie, thank you as well. Merry Christmas. Blimey, it's happened, hasn't it? 
Have a good one, guys, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.